Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, October 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a sooner-than-expected medical marijuana harvest leads to a rush of employee certifications. And Mississippi gets housing assistance from HUD. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The medical marijuana cannabis industry is ramping up its training for bud tenders. They are the staff who serve customers buying medical marijuana. Industry leaders now say the first harvest will be sooner than expected, and employees need to be certified before beginning their work. And to work as a bud tender, Mississippi requires eight hours of training to obtain that certification. Candace McClendon is a former principal and school teacher. She founded the state's first cannabis industry employee training program. The school is called the Mississippi Cannabis School, and she shares more with our Rhonda Dunaway. In the Mississippi Cannabis Act, um, the regulations state that if you're going to work and hold a work permit in the cannabis industry, you need eight continuing education hours. So we have currently exclusive training contracts with some of the largest uh, cultivators in the state, and that's more so on demand because the state doesn't regulate for them to have in-person classes if they do not choose. However, the Department of Revenue just released some additional updates to their training yesterday. So the department will um, host a one-hour course for them, right? It's a video overview. And then metric, which is our seed to sale system, will offer two hours. And so it's up to the dispensaries to offer the additional five hours. So kind of like you were talking about, in some industries you have to have like um, – serve safe and all of that kind of stuff. The regulation speaks to having eight hours before you start day one into the industry, yes. So are there uh, a lot of people getting educated right now? How many students do you have enrolled? Ooh, so with the cultivators, um, we, we're having, we've trained about 50, um, and it's growing and growing because what we call is we're entering the training jam. I think in the beginning we were kind of the messaging was that product wasn't going to be available to January. And so a lot of things have shifted. And so we're looking at November. And so people are getting licensed and they are actually having career fairs and interviewing people to bring those folks on. And so now we're entering the training jam where everybody's trying to get people train before the doors open since the department has released additional guidance on what that needs to look like. 
Are there any requirements or restrictions on enrollment, you know, for students? Well, you do have to be 21 um, to work in a medical cannabis facility, and you can't have any disqualifying felonies that's listed in the regulations. And so in order to get a work permit, you do have to get a, a background check, a fingerprinted background check, and then you have to sign an affidavit that's notarized. It basically says that you do not have any disqualifying felonies. So all of that, you know, individuals are applying for their work permit. We don't necessarily deal with that. That's something that goes through the Department of Health. Um, we're just only focusing on the training component. Uh, it's like a certification. They'll will they receive something, something identifying that they completed the course? Yes, absolutely. So everyone that enters and, and works with us, they get a certificate of completion, and they also get a certifying letter with a unique ID. And so the ABC is the regulations who will go into the dispensaries to make sure that folks have had their eight hours of training. And so we provide the certified and certifying letter that, um, trainees actually have to sign to say, before I started, this dispensary provided me with this training. And all of those things go into the file so that if the dispensary does have an audit, they do have it on file. And we keep the files also. We have uh, a lot of road shows coming up. We are locally in Jackson, but we're kind of um, doing some events all over the state because our dispensaries are kind of spread out just so folks don't have to travel here. We are basically renting out event space, and we are setting up like a mock dispensary. So we've partnered with several national vendors where we have real POS systems. Of course, we have fake product. We can't have real product, but it's very hands-on. We're not sitting there talking to them for eight hours. And so they're actually able to interact with everything, and um, it's, it's just kind of like a real mock lab. Candice McClendon is the founder of the Mississippi Cannabis School. Coming up, Mississippi gets housing assistance from HUD. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A federal program helping Mississippians afford housing is increasing the number of vouchers to the state. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is awarding 19,000 new vouchers nationwide and 134 are directed to Mississippi. But Justin Brooks, executive director of the Mississippi Housing Regional Authority for Region 8, well, he tells our Kobe Vance housing prices are growing in the area, and it's just not enough. We're the largest housing authority in the state of Mississippi, and through all of those rental-assisted programs, we have a myriad of them. We serve approximately 10,000 households. And to particular to our Housing Choice Voucher Program, just to kind of give you a frame of, of reference as to what the need is here in South Mississippi. In February of this year, we opened our application process to new applicants to our Section 8 waiting list, our Housing Choice Voucher waiting list. And in 50 minutes, we took 3,700 applications. So we're extremely thankful. This is the first time in many years that we've seen 
the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, increase our you know just traditional housing choice voucher funding, but we we got the equivalent of funding for up to 28 vouchers. We're hoping that we can you know we can actually stretch it out to 28. It's, it it may end up being more like 25, um, just with some of the rent increases that we're seeing here in the local market. How how does that number compare to years past that demand? Whenever y'all do open up the application process. Oh, it's absolutely pretty consistent, but I do feel like that with the economic effects of, you know, obviously the, the global pandemic that we're all coming out of, it, it's been very disproportionate in its effects to, you know, low-income communities and particularly low-income communities of color. And so I would say that, you know, we're seeing an increase you know, in need and while we're receiving an increase in, in the resources to respond, and, and please understand, we're very thankful for that. You know, it, it equates you know almost two hundred thousand dollars in new funding that we're going to receive. That's going to potentially house twenty eight new households. But you know, it, it, the affordable housing needs here in South Mississippi are vastly larger than the resources we've been able to commit to it up to this point. Mississippi has such a need for these vouchers. Because we have so – historically, we are a very low-income state. What does it mean for the people that are going to be able to apply? But also, can you talk about the people who are still going to be waiting um, because our supplies are limited? Yeah, through the Housing Choice Voucher Program, really what a household is able to do is they are able to access rental assistance that allows them and enables them – to make ends meet. And we're very thankful that we have 28 new households in the lower 14 counties of Mississippi that you know, we'll be able to serve because of this you know, increase in funding. If we look at the scale and the scope of the need for affordable housing, not just here in Mississippi, but across the country, but certainly in Mississippi, you know, with us being one of the, the poorest states in, in the country, I don't know how to truly get a, a, across the scale of, of what the need is you know, without some type of, of venue for us to, to be able to have conversations like this. And so it's it's a challenge that we're seeing nationwide, but it certainly disproportionately affects those states that don't quite have the you know, economic ability to, to overcome them. And Mississippi's certainly in that category. You mentioned earlier that y'all are seeing some housing and the price of housing rise in your area. How is that affecting your ability to provide these vouchers? I would say right now our largest challenge or our biggest challenge is securing landlords who will participate in the program. Because here on the Gulf Coast, we've seen a a pretty rapid increase in, in rental rates within the local markets. What we're seeing is we're seeing fewer units that are being made available to persons with with uh, housing choice vouchers, but we're also seeing that the rent burden is also increasing. So when you do find an apartment to rent and you do find a landlord who's willing to participate, you're going to be paying a, a level of rent that is really going to put you at a disadvantage. Justin Brooks is executive director of the state's Region 8 Housing Authority. Coming up, drier conditions could mean a higher risk for fires. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. As August turned to September in Mississippi, torrential rains led to flash flooding in many parts of the state. And around the capital city, residents braced for major flood stage along the Pearl River. Now, one month later, much of the opposite can be said. Conditions have become so dry, the National Weather Service issued a limited fire danger threat over the weekend. Rain isn't expected for the next seven days or so. Meteorologist Mike Edmondson tells our Michael Guidry how the conditions are monitored for potential red flag warnings. It's not just the dry conditions, but we have to take into consideration fuel moisture, and fuel moisture is measured by um, the Forestry Commission. So there's websites for national guidance on what the particular fuel moisture would be. So we also do have a drought monitor, but that doesn't necessarily play into fire weather all the time because you can be without rain and be really dry, but then your air will be moist like today. For us, for the National Weather Service in Jackson, it's like 25% with a 15-mile-per-hour wind puts you in what's considered red flag warning criteria. So if we approach those conditions, then we put out like a maybe a, a fire weather watch. So it's a fire weather watch or a red flag warning. And those are the conditions where the forestry department says that if you were to start a fire, that the fuels are dry enough for the fire to spread. And with the wind and the low relative humidity, you increase your fire spread. I mean, it feels like we had a bunch of rain, like to the mm-hmm. point where it caused flooding. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, since then, very little rain. Mm-hmm. Is this normal for this time of year? Are we, or is, is, are, and are there any, any conditions within the jet stream, you know, anything like that, 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 are, that is presenting this long period of, of dryness? Right. Climatologically speaking, September and October are like one of the two driest months in the year. So if we don't have any type of uh, tropical system that comes across and really dumps a lot of rain, you know, we start, we stop getting or start getting some cold fronts to come through and they generally bring some drier air masses. What, you know, there's climatological things that, or I should say mesoscale things that actually led to our dryness. And we did, we have ridging. When you have high pressure in a loft, you generally don't get cold fronts or or even a lot of moisture, it allows the temperatures to warm up and, you know, an air mass to dry out, especially at the surface if you have surface high pressure to the north. It basically, what we call, closes the gulf. It, it, you know, you don't get any gulf moisture up here because you, you're maintaining a northerly flow at low levels. And then the caveat was Hurricane Ian, and we were on the west side the whole time, and that big wind field that was associated with the Category 4 um, hurricane was helping produce and maintain a strong enough northeast to north wind, which was uh, actually drier. I mean, it was moist around the hurricane, but it, on the fringes, you get the drying. So that's that helped contribute to our dryness 
as well with the with the wind um, resulting in the fire weather conditions. So now today we still have dry, but we're, we've lost our wind. Our winds are going to be much lighter, and believe it or not, even with just like a northerly component to the low-level wind, we're still getting a little bit of moisture surge enough to where the the uh, the relative humidities aren't going to bottom out below 25. So that's where we're at today. We're still dry. Matter of fact, looking at the long-term forecast, there was really no significant rain chances, I guess, until almost like uh, next Thursday is what it was looking at. I don't think we have any pops in here for for this week, even going into Monday. By the time you get to next Thursday, but that's only what one mile is from. By the time we get to next Thursday, I mean, that's like 10 days out. Um, Maybe things will change. Maybe the, you know, because models aren't that accurate. The further out you go and stuff. So, but that's in the long run. That's looking okay. like the next best chance for any type of rain would be after a week. So we're looking at for at least a week, maybe even ten days of of dry conditions. Mike Edmondson is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Jackson. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.